What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society Podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is October 7th, and this is the start of our weekly podcast. Mm. We're super excited. You guys have been asking us to do it, and we've been putting it off because it's a lot of work and we're tired. But, you know, <laughs> since you guys asked so nicely, we decided, why not give it a shot? So you all better listen very promptly so that we stay motivated to keep doing this and give us great reviews and share it with all your friends. When when we posted that we were going weekly, we've had a lot of people be really excited, which is a nice little boost and, you know, validation that it might be the right thing for us to be doing, which is nice. Yeah, definitely. And I'm assuming that you probably have friends that also like crime or your moms, your grandmas, your aunts, your sisters. Maybe there's some men in your life, but our audience is 90%. Yeah. <laughs> our audience is 90% women, so I'm not um, being sexist. That's just the way it is. <laughs> but a great way to support us for free that's very easy is to just share that you're listening to the podcast on your Instagram story. Then all your followers will see it. Maybe some of them will check it out. So if you've enjoyed our company over these past few years and want to support us in an easy, free way, that's a great way to do it. And we'd appreciate it. And we'll repost it on our Instagram story. Yeah. And give you a I little shout out. On our Facebook groups, when people join, we ask how they heard about us. And sometimes we get things like, oh, the checkout person at the grocery store told me about it. <laughs> My favorite one was, wasn't there one that was like, oh, me and a girl at the bar in the bathroom were talking about how we like crime. And she told me to join this group. And I was like... It's totally girls in the bathroom drunk. <laughs> that so would it does, be me. It does work. Like if you just, you know, have a quick chat with someone and tell them about it, a lot of the times they will check it out, which is nice. Yeah. We're kind of at a good turning point here of keeping this a hobby or it becoming more serious. So we would appreciate any shares or anything like that or anything you guys could do to help us out. We've been reading all of your Instagram messages, everything you send us. Thank you so much for all the support and all the kind words. It really does mean a lot to us. We do try to answer everyone or at least acknowledge everyone's messages, but sometimes it's just there's so many that they get lost. So if you said something to us or if you sent us something that I said I would post and I haven't posted it, just send it again because sometimes I back out of the message and then I can like never find it again. And ever since the great Facebook and internet and WhatsApp outage of 2021, <laughs> everything still seems to be broken. The Instagram messages only yes. work kind of intermittently. Like Facebook messages never work anyway at the best of time. So if you really want us to know something, you can email us at truecrimesociety at gmail.com too, or mm. you know, just send us another message and hopefully it'll somehow get through. That's a good idea because I know mm. that there's some people who have sent me missing people and I mean to screenshot it and then it just gets like lost in the abyss and I feel bad because I don't want people to think I'm lying to them. I just lost it. Like a lot of the times on Facebook when I go to read the messages, it's just a broken link. It doesn't load. It doesn't work. It takes me to wherever, some dark depth of Facebook that doesn't work. I can't so. even open the messages on the Facebook page, so don't yeah. message us there. <laughs> um Anyway, keep trying. Keep trying if you want us to know something and hopefully it'll get to us. You're not being annoying. It's just hard to manage them. Yeah. So what should we talk about next? Brian? Everyone probably wants to hear about Brian. Um, So we are, we're just saying we're maybe like, what, two, three weeks into this now? Almost a month? I think at least three, yeah. Three, maybe nearly even closer to four and five or so days or something like that. Well, he went missing on either the 13th or the 14th. Apparently, that's still to be debated, debated by the parents somehow. Mm. And it's the 7th, so we're coming up on almost a month. 
And yeah. he's still missing. Still missing. Dog still hasn't found him. <laughs> yeah, the dad <laughs> is now joined the search, which is a little mysterious. Yeah. Um, the dad isn't Brian's dad. He's. I said to you, he's like helping you know quotation marks helping (laughs) yeah it's weird i feel like maybe they just want to hang out with him and see what he has to say maybe if they can crack him maybe yeah Mm. but nothing has really happened has it it's just kind of been a whole the same stuff every day like new chaos new mess new nothing really actually happening just people looking for him yeah like i've been posting a lot but it's nothing really it's no real they're non-update updates just being like the laundries are at their house. They've left their house. They're Seems back like at their house. A lot happening, but there's actually nothing happening. A lot of nothing. <laughs> and there's a lot of just like little tidbits of information that'll come out here and there. Like Gabby's family did Dr. Phil and there wasn't really any new information, but just kind of streamlined the timeline a little better and made things more clear. Um, they talked about how they figured out how they identified their remains. They told the FBI told her stepdad what she was wearing and he was able to identify that as like her favorite sweatshirt that was from a local shop and then he was the one to tell the rest of the family and he was also the one to make one of the um stone crosses that there was pictures of where her body was and he said the fbi told him how she was laying and like where her torso was and where her head was laying and i posted that on our instagram story and just to be clear she she wasn't decapitated or anything like that i mean they didn't say that but some people took me saying like he put the stones where her torso was and then some nice flowers at the top where her head was as saying that she was decapitated. But yeah. That is not what I meant. Just meant the position of where her body was. Yeah. What was the area like where you found her, where you put the cross? So the, the dispersed campgrounds are basically just open land where anybody can go and camp. And where their van was, uh, was basically alongside like a creek bed. And now it's just a little bit, you know, a few tributary streams running through, but obviously in the springtime with the snow melt, it's much, much larger. So you have to cross over this creek bed, this rock area and go through these tributaries. And then once you get on the other side, it's just some trees, you know, sparsely placed throughout and a lot of sagebrush, a lot of low brush. And it's actually on the borderline of the uh, Bridger Teton National Forest. And it was about maybe 40 feet away from where the Grand Teton National Park starts. And it was in an area where there was a few trees and uh, there was the remnants of a a fire ring there. And you can see where those rocks had been moved to make the fire ring. There was a clearing where I would assume, knowing I have a similar tent, where I would place my tent and that opening would face out overlooking the the mountain range, and her body was found, I guess it would be in front of a tent, or if that's what was there, or just in front of the fire ring. There was definitely a fire ring there, mm-hmm. and she would have been right. And it wasn't right. far from the van, it was um, a five minute walk, you said, something like that? Five, ten definitely walk. an isolated area. You would have to want to go out over into that area. It's not Cross like, over the river. Yeah. A lot of people go down to go by the creek and stuff like that, but not many people cross all the way over to go over there. It's definitely not an area that's mm-hmm. heavily trafficked. Otherwise, there hasn't been any real updates. I mean, there could be things happening, but I feel like since the FBI is the one in charge, we, we don't get anything. Yeah. Every week, I feel like we've said, hopefully, it's going to be today. It's going to be this week. 
Well, we're saying, Um, and I I guess we should say this episode is probably going to be two parts because it is a bit long and very involved. So I was like, well, we'll just record the next intro when we come closer to releasing the second part next week because Brian has to be found by then, right? I can't decide if it's less likely or more likely that he'll be found as time goes on. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess more likely in that he's essentially got to run out of resources if he is hiding at some point. It's, it's been a long time now, so maybe the likelihood is that he's dead or that he's totally fled the country and, you know, I don't know. I can't decide. I really am in two minds about what the outcome will be now. I know. I have no idea either. I don't even have an opinion. Gabby's no. family said on Dr. Phil they thought he was too much of a coward to kill himself, but yeah. what else are they going to say? Of course they want him alive. I, st- I still believe that. I still believe he seems like a bit of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, I I don't know. But in saying that, also, which we said last week, nothing would surprise me anymore about this case. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, soon. Hopefully, everyone's talking about the Appalachian Trail and like apparent maybe sightings. But then again, he does have a really basic look. But the Appalachian Trail goes up to all the way up to New York. So I'm like, should I be on the lookout yet? (laughs) (laughs) Is he sure someone someone will sight him soon in New York, and then you can go live and let us all know. And also, one last thing about this before we go on. We have seen the flowerbed TikTok. I don't know if that will still be relevant when this comes out, but yes, we have seen it. And I'm purposefully not posting it because I I can't. <laughs> not that I can't, but I just refuse. It's been sent to us a million times. And basically, it's a little TikTok of the laundry family doing gardening. They've got some like raised garden beds and people are convinced that they see a hand in this garden bed so i think some people are insinuating that brian is buried in the garden bed whereas i've seen some other people comment and say they reckon there's a bunker underneath the garden bed and he was like handing the mother a flower like i don't know whatever they're doing in the garden bed like some seeds or something to plant which both of those are equally as ridiculous i think I hope I'm not going to be proved wrong and next week we'll have to apologize and say oh my gosh he was buried there but i just feel like this is a a bit of hysteria they're just grabbing onto something that's nothing yeah and not being rude like thank you for sending it to us because i want to know everything but i just don't want to throw more gasoline on that fire and starting a frenzy but i don't think he's in the flower bed alive or dead especially not alive (laughs) but if he is i will i will i don't even know i will do something crazy as an apology i'll i'll just quit the podcast i'll disappear <laughs> i feel like this like the fact that this has been sent to us so many times is just kind of a testament to how crazy this case is like in most other cases you'd be like yeah that's not a thing but just because there is so much unbelievable chaos in this case it's almost believable yeah the fact that him living under a flower bed in their yard is semi-believable just shows you how ridiculous Ooh. everything has been uh, yeah, I, it's chaotic. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully for Gabby's family soon, they get some type of closure or resolution to where Brian is. I hope there's a lot going on and we just don't know about it because they're not it's telling crazy. us. Yeah. But enough about that. We're always like, we're not going to talk much about it, but it's so easy <laughs> to just go off on a tangent about it. <laughs> Another case that had a pretty big update was 
Alexa Sharkey. So we did it. We actually did another podcast episode on Alexis last year. I think our episode came out. So Alexis originally was reported missing on November 28 last year. Her family started making pleas for her and and we won't go into the whole thing because it's a long case, but her body was found pretty quickly soon after that. And the medical examiner had determined that she had been strangled. So Alexis had a big online um, following. She worked from, is it Monat? Monat? I don't even know how you say it. Monat. I always say Monat. Sorry Monat. if that's wrong. <laughs> um, anyway, so like there, there was a lot going on at the time and she was married to a much older man called Tom. Everyone was really invested in this case. Tom at the, like right after her death released some stuff, you know, saying basically that he was innocent and he loved Alexis. And he's also much older than her. Yeah. Like I think he's in his late forties and she was in her mid twenties. She was 26 yeah. and he was like 48 or something. So Anyway, so since then, there's been nothing. They said she was murdered. They'd, they've never released any information about suspects. Or it was basically been radio silence for at least, I don't know, what, eight months? Six, a six year? To eight months. <laughs> yeah, ne- it was nearly coming up on a year since she went missing. It was so, like 10 months, I feel. So literally nothing. And then out of the blue yesterday, all of a sudden we got news that Tom Sharkey, her husband, had killed himself. The police went to his Tom's daughter's house in Florida, which I guess is where he had been hiding out to arrest him, and that he shot himself in the head as they attempted to enter the property. So the police have come out and said that basically they did an investigation. There was a few other suspects that they managed to eliminate, and then they decided it must have been Tom. He was the only person with a motive in the murder case. And they believe that Alexis was killed as a result of domestic violence. They issued an arrest warrant for him on September 29. And when they went to take him into um, custody in Harris County, which is where they believed he was, he wasn't there. So they managed to track him to Fort Myers, Florida at his daughter's house. And when they got there and asked to speak with Tom, he shot himself in the head. So... I also found another article. Everyone's like, why didn't they arrest him sooner? Like, literally, I think he was the only real suspect. It had to have been the husband. So I read another article from Newsweek. Yes, <laughs> always the husband. Um, another article from Newsweek, and they said basically that he, Tom initially evaded police by leaving Houston to move to Georgia just two weeks after Alexis was murdered. And then it says, authorities also attempted to gather DNA from him in August this year in Georgia, but he did not show up. So I'm like, wow, that was sounds like a great investigation. He just didn't show up, so they didn't bother doing anything else. They're like, you well, know. I guess that's fine. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Very weird. I feel like it's a bit of a non-ending to this. Like we obviously know now that Tom did it, which is one conclusion, I guess. But I don't know if we'll ever learn any more about the actual circumstances regarding her death or why you know if it was like and i know they've said it's domestic violence and we know that tom has allegedly been violent towards alexis in the past um but i don't know Mm -hmm. if we'll find out much more about what happened to her yeah it's crazy it's a disappointing ending to an already sad story yeah would have loved to see him get arrested because he seemed like as usual a smug piece of shit (laughs) We did request or try to request her autopsy once they released um, her actual cause of death, but they denied it to us and said that it was an ongoing and you know active investigation. So I think we're going to try and re- um, request it again. We'll probably get denied again, but if we don't, we'll be able to share it with you guys and hopefully learn a little bit more about what happened to her. Yeah, we're, we're creeps. We're always trying to get <laughs> autopsies. 
I love a good nighttime autopsy read before bed. <laughs> Just kind of a late <laughs> scroll through autopsy reports. I woke up to a message from Nikki, who's in our admin team, the other day, and she's like, guess what I got? And it was Charles Vallow's autopsy, finally. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so I she posted read it. She said she's going to make a blog for the Charles stuff, so that will be coming up soon, which is good. So just before we get into the actual case today, one more thing is that I've had a few messages from people asking us if we have any other crime-related podcasts that we can recommend. There's two I've been listening to at the moment. One actually is another Aussie woman, Ali, um, and her team, and it's called Stolen Lives. The last episode they've just released is on the unsolved abduction and murder of Amber Hagerman, and they cover a lot of kind of lesser-known cases, which is interesting. You know, I I feel like sometimes there's a bit of repetition when it's all about the big cases so stolen lives covers a lot of the lesser known cases so i suggest everyone gives that one a listen and another one i found which is really good is called nowhere to be found they're on their third season and they cover missing people obviously by the name so i'm on to season two where they talk about missing woman fauna fry and then the next season which i'm really interested to listen to is about ryan stuka who's a canadian guy who had went missing a few years ago and basically really mysterious kind of disappearance absolutely no trace of him has been found so nowhere to be found in stolen lives are the two that i'm really enjoying at the moment yeah i don't really listen to crime podcasts to be honest <laughs> I'm I think because, yeah it takes up like so much of my life otherwise i i pretty much only listen to celebrity gossip type podcasts or bachelor recap podcasts because i'm a loser <laughs> but i did you I used to like Sword and Scale a lot, but that became problematic, obviously. <laughs> and I did really like this, like, it's probably old news and everyone's heard it, but I did really like the cold podcast on Susan Powell, if no one's Yeah, that was to. a really good one. It was crazy. Even if you know that case, it's crazy to listen to. Very I do good. love a good recommend. series podcast. I always, I always look forward to the next episodes. But those are, those are our recommendations. Any other good ones, we'll keep you posted as we go along. Mm-hmm. Today we are going to talk about the Murdoch family. <laughs> we've had a debate on how to say the name, if it's Murdoch versus Murdoch, and we've decided it's Murdoch. I've listened to a bunch of videos because obviously it's not massive news down here in Australia, so I've done a lot of reading, not much watching or listening, so I feel like it's Murdoch as well. I hope we're getting it right. <laughs> yeah. And if we're not, feel, feel free to message us and, and let us know. Um, so like I said, it's a very long and involved crazy case, but a lot of people really wanted us to cover it because it's kind of hard to just jump in and know what's going on. If you're only starting to get interested now, that's kind of more made the mainstream news. So since it's a little confusing, we're going to try to break it down and explain all of the important details anyways. I'm sure you could spin this off into a billion different directions because it really is a web that's comparable to Lori Vallow. I was just actually about to say that exact thing. It reminded me of the Vallow case when I was doing the research because it's just so much. There's so many little side and backstories to all of this. It's a lot. And if you, it would be really overwhelming if you are new to the case and you know, kind of want to know where to start. Yeah, like it's one of those ones where you're reading about one thing, but then it connects to this other thing that you were reading about before, which connects to this other thing that's happening now. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, who are all these people and what is happening? A very tangled, detailed web. 
Yeah, so we're gonna try to unravel explain it, it all <laughs> and keep it as streamlined as possible. I'm gonna start off talking about the kind of some of the backstory and some of the stuff leading up to I guess the main part of it would be the murders of which murders? The murders of his <laughs> wife and son. So we're gonna start with all the stuff leading up to that. I think your part will probably be everything up until twenty twenty one almost and then yeah, about this case. It involves a little bit of everything. There's murder, fraud, suicide for hire, tons of different things going on. Housekeepers are dead. Random people are dead that somehow knew them. It's a lot. One of the sons is named Buster. It's too much. That's his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> the worst oh. of them all is that his name is Buster. And there's a bunch of people, too, with the same names because, you know, they're all like, Randolph one, like so. Yeah, anyway. they they love <laughs> to rename after their family members. But okay, enough. I need to calm down. People are gonna mm-hmm. get mad. A wealthy mother and son shot with two different guns. A housekeeper who supposedly died when she tripped and fell. A 19-year-old girl killed in a boating accident, and a hit-and-run victim who may have actually been struck with a baseball bat. And then finally, a family patriarch who has now turned himself in for allegedly attempting to stage his own murder. Five deaths and more crimes potentially linked to just one family. Today, we have the very latest on the shocking fall of South Carolina's powerful Murdoch family. Personal injury lawyer Alex Murdoch hails from a prominent legal dynasty that dominated the South Carolina Lowcountry's justice system for over 80 years. But on September 4th, the 53-year-old was shot in the head. He survived and told authorities he enlisted a former client, Curtis Edward Smith, to kill him so his only living son, Buster, could collect the $10 million insurance payout. This happened in South Carolina. It's the Murdoch family. They're where they live. They are very well known. The specific main characters are going to be Margaret and Richard Alexander Murdoch. But he just will just call him Alex. They're the parents. And their sons are Richard, who goes by Buster, and Paul. Some background on the family. They've actually been pretty notorious since the 1920s. Um, they're a very well-known family in the Low County region of South Carolina. So from 1920 to 2006, three members of the family consecutively served as solicitor, which is the district attorney, in charge of prosecuting all the criminal cases in the state's 14th Circuit District. It begins in the small town of Hampton just over 100 years ago when residents elect Randolph Murdoch as the 14th Circuit solicitor. Most states call them district attorneys. For more than 85 years, three generations of Murdochs with the supreme law for more than 3,200 square miles of low country. It's pretty well recognized in law that in criminal justice, there is no figure more powerful than the prosecutor. Keeping residents on the legal straight and narrow across five counties kept the Murdoch family well connected to law enforcement. And probably know each other pretty well socially, too. That's very often the case here, yes. The family's grip on the solicitor's office ended in 2005 when Randolph Murdoch III retired. So we won't go into the history of the previous Murdochs because they don't really matter. There's lots of info (laughs) online about them, and we'll put it in the blog. But we just want to make the point of they were a powerful family and in control for a long time. It must be like the royal family when you start looking into it because it's like, oh, anyway, it's crazy. It's There's this massive family tree. 
Yeah, so. they're like so- South Carolina royalty. <laughs> yeah. Alex Murdoch met Margaret, or Maggie, in the late 1980s while they were both attending University of South Carolina. He graduated from USC in 1990, and she graduated in 1991, the year I was born, just so we all know. <laughs> Alex then went on to graduate from the USC School of Law in 1994, and he then joined the Murdoch family law firm. The couple then had their two sons together, Richard Buster and Paul. Paul was born in 1999. I guess you don't care when Richard was born. I couldn't find anything on Richard. The only reason I could find Paul is that he's dead. So he had an obituary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, that would give a timeline as to when they had some kids. So like we said, the, the family's seemingly very wealthy. And just to show how kind of pretentious they are, this is a little excerpt from the New York Post. It says... The couple would become the leading lights in otherwise mostly poor Hampton County. Holding forth from one of their three estates, Maggie Murdoch, who favored furs when the weather was cold enough, preferred to stay at the couple's hunting lodge just outside of the town of Hampton, where their two sons, Buster and Paul, liked to shoot wild animals. In the summers, the Murdochs spent their time on their 17-foot powerboat. Is it ever cold enough to wear furs in South Carolina? I don't know. Maybe she just likes the furs anyway and uses them as an excuse. <laughs> like 50 degrees and she's like, I'm making my furs. <laughs> so we're going to start the story with the things that happened in 2015. And we're going to try to go in chronological order as much as possible. We'll give you the rundown on all the people as they're introduced in the story. The first event that will eventually become relevant happened on July 8th, 2015. Stephen Smith, who was 19, was found dead in Hampton County, South Carolina. His body was found in the middle of a road, and he had gashes on his forehead. Stephen's mother, Sandy, spoke to the media and said, I just couldn't believe it. When they told me hit and run, I said that's impossible because Stephen wouldn't have been walking in the road to start with. He would have cut through the woods. He would not have been on the highway. Um, She also said... They said he was shot in the head. Then it turned into he was a hit and run, and then he was beat up. So the story just kept changing. The death, it was classified as a hit and run, and it kind of just went cold. Nothing else ever happened with it. The only connection at the time to the Murdoch's was that Stephen was a classmate of Buster. But we'll circle back to that. <laughs> that brings us fears later. February 26, 2018, Gloria Satterfield, a Murdoch family employee, I think she was like a housekeeper of more than 20 years, passed away. According to legal documents, Gloria died as a result of injuries sustained in a trip and fall accident at the Murdoch family home. Her death certificate said her manner of death was natural and no autopsy was done. Her complete cause of death was acute subdural hemorrhage due to a stroke. So already it seems like a lot's going on. A trip and fall is not really natural. Yeah, it's very like I, I know. Like I'm in kind of two minds about this, which I know we'll get into too. Because she essentially like she died. Hospitalized. She died in the hospital, so it was an attended yeah. death. Which I know that they don't always carry out autopsies for an attended death, but you would think there would have been more of an investigation into the actual circumstances. I guess there wasn't a real need at this point to do that, though. Anyway, yeah. probably getting ahead of ourselves. No reason to be suspicious yet. Yet. Her obituaries online, so that's where it seems like it says she died in the hospital. So that's where we got that from. When I was doing the research, I did find some conflicting things and some people, like some articles said that she died at the home, but I do think that she actually was in hospital for a few weeks before she died um, based on things that have since come out. So her, her obituary says, 
Mrs. Gloria Harriet Satterfield of Furman passed away Monday 26th, 2018 at Trident Medical Centre. So I'm pretty sure that is the legit version of what happened. Yeah, especially because usually the family writes it, so they would know. Yeah. Articles that we had read on this said that she died about three weeks after the initial fall. And it's not clear, this is what we were just talking about, kind of, if she had a stroke and fell at the home or if she had a stroke at the hospital after the fall. So the chain of events isn't very clear, but but that's what's out there. So the coroner's office was not notified of Gloria's death, which is weird if it was at the hospital, I feel. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if the process is different for each county or each state, but you would think, yeah, I don't know how it works. Gloria's fall at the home reportedly happened on February 2nd, 2018. Alex Murdoch's version of events is that Gloria tripped over the family's dog and fell downstairs. There's some contention as to which Murdoch property this happened at because they owned homes in Hampton and Colton counties. I guess the family, the Murdoch family have never really confirmed. I'm sure, you know, that there is clarification, but they just haven't made it public. Yeah. Gloria's sons negotiated an initial settlement with Alex Murdoch that was reported to be around $4 million with their first lawyer, Corey Fleming. They never received any of the money, though. Brings us to 2019, which is the year where things really started going wrong for them. Um, on February 24, 2019, Paul Murdoch was having a party with five friends. Mallory Beach, who was 19, her boyfriend, Anthony, Anthony's cousin, Connor, and two other people. The group started their party on February 23rd around 7 p.m. Paul Murdoch bought $45 worth of booze with his older brother's ID at Parker's Convenience Store in Ridgeland. The stash included a 15-pack of Natty Light beer bought on special. After they got their beers, uh, they had a few drinks at the Island, which is a $1.45 million property owned by Murdoch's grandfather on Chichessi? Yeah, I was. I don't know. At the time when I got that, I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Looks like that. Chichessi. Yeah. Chichessi Creek. And then they got on the boat. Their intended destination was an oyster roast at Christy and James Wood's home around 20 nautical miles away. Christy Wood was the principal of Brunson Elementary in Hampton District 1 schools, and she and her husband allowed the underage group to consume alcohol at their home. There's a whole subreddit for this case and there's one post asking if anyone personally knew them or had hung around with them and a bunch of people did actually and it seems like a lot of the parents in this group the circle didn't care and let the kids underage drink at their houses all the time i guess when you have multiple houses <laughs> who cares <laughs> let the kids drink at the other one it's crazy because i know that they're underage because our legal drinking age is 18 so none of them yeah. would have been underage here they were just underage there it's so stupid. We have to be so old here. <laughs> so it's not entirely clear what time Paul's group left the oyster roast, but their next stop was downtown at Luther's Rare and Well Done, described as Beaufort's best bar for nightlife and live entertainment. More alcohol was consumed at the bar, and the group got aboard the boat around 2 a.m. So Paul was driving the boat, and he got into an argument with Anthony because Anthony thought he was too drunk to be driving the boat. Anthony pulled Mallory onto his lap, and they sat together as the boat moved off. Not long after the argument, Paul proved Anthony right and crashed the boat into the R.C. Berkeley Bridge. Anthony was knocked unconscious and thrown into the water. When he came to, he started screaming for Mallory, but she was nowhere to be found. At 2.26, a 911 call was made. The dispatcher hears screams on the other end of the line, someone screaming Mallory's name over and over. 
Connor Cook, Anthony's cousin, tells the dispatcher there's been a boat crash in Archer's Creek. Anthony's still in the water searching for Mallory. What bridge is it? Paul, what bridge is this? Nine one one, where's your emergency? Hello? Police fire in this. Hello? We're in a boat crash on Arthur Street. Where where about on Arthur Street? In Arthur Street, the only bridge on Arthur Street. Archer Street? Archer's Creek. Archer's Creek. Uh, Archer's Creek. Is it Okay. What's going on? It's by Paris Island. Right. What? What's going on? We we're in a boat crash. You know what? What kind of a? A boat crash. A a boat? Did you say a boat crash? A boat crash. Okay. So you're at uh, are you at the dock? Hello. Are you are you at the dock? No, we just crashed in a boat. Okay, are you in the water or are you? We're we're in the boat. Okay. We have someone missing. Okay, okay. Hang on one second, okay? I'm calling in reference to a disabled. I'm sorry, a boat crash. It's six people on board. They currently have one missing. All right, it's in Archer's Creek, which is right there off of Paris Island. There's a bridge on Paris Island. They're underneath it. They crashed into the bridge. Alpha 29, that's Connor tells the dispatcher uh, a female named Mallory Beach is missing. As he describes the scene, a woman in the background screams about losing blood, which I'm, I'm assuming that's the other that, two people. Yeah, the other unnamed people. At 2.40 a.m., police arrive at the scene. Five of the boaters are accounted for, but Mallory remains missing. Paul, who just has boxer shorts on, is talking on the phone, a police report says, um, and he starts to sob as he tells the person on the phone that Mallory is missing. I wonder who he could be ringing, I suspect, Daddy Dearest. His dad. (laughs) (laughs) At 2.54 a.m., a dispatcher woke up the Beaufort County Sheriff's Office Emergency Management Director, long title, (laughs) he said we have a water emergency we had a boat crash and it's gonna be at archers creek right up on mailcon drive by paris island so we're at 3 19 a.m now an ambulance takes three patients to the hospital paul is among the injured paul was noted to be uncooperative and almost aggressive towards ems a deputy had to ride in the ambulance with them just to make sure everyone was safe Mallory's boyfriend, Anthony, refused to go to the hospital, and he stayed at the crash scene. Reports say that around 3.44 a.m., Paul's father and grandfather arrived at the hospital. They told police they were lawyers, and they stopped all questioning and sobriety tests. At around midday, articles were published in the Island Packet in Beaufort Gazette. Twenty of Mallory's family members were at the crash scene as police helicopters and divers kept searching for her. Anthony also remained at the scene, and he hadn't even left since the accident. Alex, thank you. Three days of searching, still no sign of a teenager thrown overboard in a- over the weekend. 19-year-old Mallory Beach hasn't been seen since a boat she and five friends were riding on hit a piling in Archer's Creek at two Sunday morning. Rescue crews from Beaufort County and Paris Island have been combing the waters in and around the area. 
Paris Island even shut down its firing range so searchers would be safe. Meanwhile, dozens of family members and friends have been standing by hoping for a miracle. So tide, wind is always a factor, water temperature is a factor. Um, so we, we take all that into account. That's why we have various sized boats here. We have smaller boats that can get up in the, the areas. Marine Rescue Squad here in Buford has an airboat should we need something like that. And then we bring in the air assets to help us look in the areas that the boats can't get into. The operation is about to end for the night. Officials say they are still in search mode, not recovery, believing Mallory can still be found. The accident itself is still under investigation. DNA swabs are taken from various locations on the boat during the day. A police report says the boat has been sitting in the open for more than 12 hours, including during periods of rain, waiting to be processed for evidence. Law enforcement officers find no usable fingerprints. The boat had a large split in the hull and blood in the main compartment. So there's pictures. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures. There's quite a lot of damage to the boat. Like You can actually see the exact, um, I guess, point of impact for the boat. It's been kind of torn apart. There's a mud and it looks like where it's hit the pillar, mud and, you know, dirt and things like that. And there's blood all throughout the boat. So it's not like pools of blood. It looks like it's just kind of, I don't know. It's a very messy like, scene. Yeah, it's like just a big blood stain. Yeah. I'll put the photos on the blog anyway so you can see them. But it's like there's definitely a lot of damage and a fair amount of blood in the boat. Yeah, they must have been going very fast. It's so weird because when you look at the photo of the bridge, like I guess, you know, I know it was 2 a.m. and all that, but it just looks unbelievable that you could miss it. There are like tons and tons of pillars under this bridge. It's not like there's one or two pillars on either side and there's like – I reckon there must be 30 pillars maybe or something at least. Like the whole bridge is pillars. To go through it, you would have to go so, so slowly. Um, yeah. You must have really, 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 really been not paying attention. I think it's probably just one who was super drunk and the, all the Murdogs seem to have a I'm untouchable attitude. Yeah. yeah. To fuel their egos. Mallory's family went to the crash site every day for a week, and police conducted numerous searches for her. On March 3rd, Mallory's family went via their church to pray for her, instead of going straight to the scene. Around 1 p.m., some volunteers launched their boat and began searching near Broad River Boat Landing. About 20 minutes into the search and near low tide, the brother on the T-top sees blonde hair floating in the marsh line. They call 911 and remain there until law enforcement and the county coroner arrive, and they found Mallory. So her funeral was held on March 7th, 11 days after the boat crash, and more than 500 people attended. Reverend Nelson Foster said at her funeral, she went early, she went young, she loved her family, she loved her friends, she loved her rescued pets. I'm blown away by the legacy this teen woman leaves behind. The Reverend recalls the words Mallory had scribbled on a chalkboard in her room when she was about 12. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. He's going to do great things. I already know. This is a little note about Mallory when I was doing all the research. Everything I've read about her, she seems really lovely. Like there's, you know, she seems sweet. She loved her family. She seems, you know, all her friends are absolutely devastated about what's happened. It's a real loss for their community, it seems. So police continued to investigate the crash and were finally able to bring charges on April 18th, the same day that Mallory would have turned 20 years old. 
A Beaufort County grand jury made it official today. Three charges against 20-year-old Paul Murdaugh, voting under the influence causing death and two counts of voting under the influence with great bodily injury. According to the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources investigation, Murdaugh was apparently driving the boat at 2 a.m. February 24th when it hit a bridge on Archer's Creek, throwing all six people out. Mallory Beach couldn't be found that night. It took seven days before her body was discovered. Since then, Mallory's mother has filed a civil lawsuit claiming Parker sold alcohol to the 20-year-old Murdaugh who was using his older brother's ID. Also named Luther's Rare and Well Done, a restaurant where the teens allegedly continued to drink later, even though all were underage. Paul Murdaugh's brother, father, and grandfather were all implicated for various reasons in the suit. His grandfather, Randolph Murdaugh, is a legendary attorney in Beaufort and Hampton County and a longtime former 14th Circuit solicitor. The Murdaugh's connection to this case has already led to the Beaver County Sheriff's Office, the current 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office, and two circuit court judges recusing themselves from the investigation because of their close ties to the family. Now the South Carolina Attorney General's Office itself says it will prosecute the criminal case. The indictments come on what would have been Mallory Beach's 20th birthday. In a Facebook post this morning, Mallory's mother wrote, I never imagined I wouldn't be able to celebrate your 20th birthday with you. Happy birthday in heaven. He was never jailed, of course, and he was out on a $50,000 personal reconnaissance bond. He was also free to travel throughout the state. Paul's blood alcohol content on the night of the crash was found to be 0.286, which is almost three times the legal limit for operating a motor vehicle. But the judge denied a prosecutorial, but the judge denied a prosecutorial request that he wear an alcohol monitor. There's still lawsuits ongoing in relation to Mallory's death. Mallory's mother, Renee Beach, filed a wrongful death lawsuit naming Parker's store, um, where they bought the alcohol, as part of the lawsuit, as well as Alex Murdoch and his oldest son, Richard. I think that Paul used Richard's ID to buy the alcohol, and I think also he bought it with Maggie's credit card. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot going on. Philadelphia Indemnity Insurance also has sued, asking the court to relieve the company of financial responsibilities for any claims by 20-year-old Paul Murdoch's brother and father. There are some updates in the lawsuit that we'll discuss closer to the end of the episode when they come up in the story. From there, the Murdoch family kept bumbling along, interestingly. (laughs) At some point between the boating accident in June 2021, Maggie arranged for a forensic accountant to review the family's finances. There's also rumors online that Maggie spoke to a a divorce lawyer in April 2021. So then that brings us to June 7, 2021. Another huge twist in the case occurs. Maggie and Paul were shot dead on their property on Moselle Road in Islington. The victims were shot multiple times, the coroner said, reportedly with a semi-automatic assault rifle and a shotgun. He ruled the deaths as a double homicide, and each victim had been killed with a different gun, which is interesting. Maybe two killers? So crazy to me because there is actually so little information about their murders, like everything else, like Mallory's accident and everything else we're going to talk about. There's tons and tons and tons of articles, but the police have been really, really closed-lipped about this, which is interesting. Yeah, I feel like this is when they started being like, hold up a minute. Yeah, Something weird's going on. Um, So some of the neighbors spoke to the media after the murders. One of them, she talks kind of with an accent, so I'll do my best here. 
Um, Gabby Thomas, 62, whose hunting club is adjacent to where the Murdoch's lived. She said, Miss Maggie, don't deserve this. She'd give you the shirt off her back, that one. Wonderful woman. The mothers, I don't know, but she sure spoiled Paul. I heard him talk back to her once so bad in the beauty parlor once that I made him apologize. (laughs) Good for you, (laughs) Gabby. Some media reports say that police said at the time there was no risk to the public. As you know, our favorite saying, no (laughs) risk to the public. We have no idea who the killers were. I feel like but it's only the unsolved no the cases that still remain unsolved for years where they've said that. And, they, you know, they still obviously haven't arrested anyone, but there's obviously no risk to the public. <laughs> I know. Like, you don't even know who they are. What do you mean? <laughs> so Alex was the one to discover the bodies on the property, and the 911 call that he made has been released. So in the call, you can hear Alex is very distraught, and he tells authorities that he's found his family member shot. He tells the dispatcher that he does not think they're breathing. He also told the dispatcher that he had been with his terminally ill father on the night of the murders. His father, Randolph III, died of natural causes June 10th, three days after the murders. Very convenient. It's interesting that he mentioned that to the dispatcher as well, like... You would think, why would that even come up? I'm sure he brought it up like, I, I just got home. I've been with Randolph or whatever. So it's interesting that he felt the need to that. Paul was still facing felony charges for the boating crash for the death of Mallory at the time that he was murdered. In a formality, the state attorney general's office dropped the charges against Paul in August 2021. So both of Paul and Maggie's obituaries are online. Yeah, so you can tell <laughs> you can tell they've obviously been written by the same people. I'm assuming the husband, but anyway. So Maggie's being paced. Yeah, Maggie's says Margaret entered into internal rest with her son Paul on the evening of June 7, 2021. He says the same. And then it goes into hers. It says she graduated from the University of South Carolina in 1991, where she met her husband Alex. She was a member of Kappa Delta sorority and has kept in touch with many of these friends. 
Maggie and Alex raised their two sons in Hampton, South Carolina, and enjoyed spending summers at their beach house. Maggie had a heart of pure generosity and loved welcoming friends and family into her home on any given occasion. She adored her family and cherished spending time on the boat with her two sons. She'll be remembered as a second mum to her friend, her son's many friends. She made the most out of every situation and lived each and every day to the fullest. It's interesting they put the stuff about the boat in when all the, you know, drama with Mallory's yeah. death. I wonder if that was him being a dick. It seems it's a bit of a dicky show bit. Like, did you really need to put in about the beach house and, you know? Yeah, that was. it, it. seems like a lot of humble brags. You could have just, just said she loved, spending, she loved spending summers at wherever they went. Like, you didn't need to put in the bit about the beach house. And, yeah, a humble brag. Anyway, yeah, and then, then Paul's is very similar, actually. It says, Paul grew up with a love for the outdoors and particularly enjoyed hunting at their lodge in Moselle with his father and brother Buster. He was a junior at the University of South Carolina, where he was often found sharing on the Gamecocks with his family and friends. Paul never met a stranger and had an abundance of friends. He was always eager to lend a helping hand to anyone in need, except for when <laughs> he causes a boat crash that kills someone. Except for when he's a raging drunk. No one was more loving and genuine than Paul, and because of this, his personality was one of a kind. And then it just goes on to list all their family and friends and, you know, survivors and things like that. So it makes me wonder, like, how you were just saying they didn't need to include their beach house or their lodge. I feel like people like them who are just so rich and have had all this um, privilege their whole life don't realize that what they're saying comes off that yeah. way. It's so tone deaf. Like, yeah, that's what the word is. Like, just, just they like, are so oblivious to how they're perceived or, you know, how they may be perceived. So, like, mm, yes, our, our beach house and our hunting lodge. And it's like, <laughs> some people so live in their car. They've, they've managed to put in two of their properties into their obituaries. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. they didn't write about her love of fur coats in there, too. No. On June 25th, Alex Murdoch released a statement to the press saying, I want to thank everyone for the incredible love and support that we've received over the last few weeks. Now is the time to bring justice for Maggie and Paul. Buster, the other son, and I, along with Maggie's mother, father, and our entire family, ask anyone with helpful information, immediately call the SLED tip line or Crime Stoppers. On June 27th, he announced that he'd be offering a $100,000 reward for any information about the murder of his wife and son. And to be eligible for the $100,000 reward, the person claiming the reward must submit a tip that leads to an arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible to SLED or Crime Stoppers on or before September 31st, 2021. So essentially, yeah, he made it a very short timeline for his reward. But I wonder, I know... Things like that usually say arrest and conviction. Does that mean, does conviction mean if they're found guilty? I think so. Like what if it's like Casey it's Anthony it, where they get acquitted? Yeah. Like yeah. You, so you it seems just, like a very, um, you know, detailed requirement. It's very scammy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you will only get it if they're arrested and convicted. It's not even just for information and things like that regarding the case. Yeah. Rude. So following the murders, police began to look into the hit and run that we mentioned at the start of the podcast that we said we'd circle back to about the hit and run death of Stephen Smith from 2015. So after police began investigating the Murdoch murders, they uncovered information relating to Stephen's case. But of course, nobody has elaborated on what that information is yet. 
But Stephen's mother, Sandy, has been speaking to the media again, and she said she is suspicious of the investigation into the Murdoch homicides. She said, I think they're setting up a fake crime scene just like they did with my son. I'm not buying it. I've seen how they handled what happened to Stephen. She also alluded to the fact that she thinks Stephen's death may be a hate crime because he was gay. I found a little map and it kind of um, shows where all these events have happened. And the deaths of Paul and Maggie happened very, very close to where Stephen was found. So I'm assuming that means he died close to where their hunting lodge was. Um, If you can see those, there's a key that I didn't add in, which I should have. But those three little dots at the top, that's where they were all found. Um, So it's very, very close to the Murdoch family property. Don't murder where you eat. (laughs) So, yeah, there's not much information about the Stephen Smith case yet. Hopefully more will come out, but I figure they must have something pretty concrete to say that they've opened it again because of information they found while investigating the homicides. Yeah, to even think to open Mm. again. It must be something pretty good. And I also, you know, obviously I don't know, I'm just – speculating but for the media to be saying that he was a classmate of busters maybe that this is where the linkage kind of maybe comes in yeah that's where we're gonna leave off with part one of the murdoch saga because from here it kind of just spirals out of control and there wouldn't be a place to stop again so next week olivia is gonna finish the story of the murdochs and we're gonna find out what the fuck alex murdoch has been up to and why He's behaving this way. Well, maybe not why, but we'll find out more stuff. Hopefully we'll have an update too on the Brian case for next week. Fingers crossed. If, uh, if we I don't should, have an update We should call then, it the Brian case, the Gabby case, the Gabby case. Yeah. If we yes. don't have an update by then, I'll be super devastated. <laughs> so fingers crossed we'll have a Brian update for you next time. And we will have the rest of the Murdoch story. And how everything goes to shit for Alex Murdoch. Make sure you check out our blog too because we've got all the photos and all the background of the things that we've spoken about today um, all up there if you want to check them out and get ready for next week. Mm -hmm. And don't do too much Googling. Don't spoil it for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) There's still a lot to happen. Like a lot has happened in the last few months. So it's almost nearly the bulk of the stuff has happened since we're ending this episode. So. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, forum, everything we always say. I know you guys probably shut it off at this point. So (laughs) Twitter also. And we will see you guys next week because we're weekly now. Remember, not long to wait. All right. Bye. See ya.